So as we progress through the book of Kings, we bring Solomon's life to an end. And, you know, what a tragic ending. He had an incredible beginning, incredible potential. The sky was the limit. It really was. Long life, riches, honor, all of the above. And he got most of it, but you know what? If you don't get the long life to go with it because of your sin, you've kind of cut the whole deal short. Because less than 40 years later after he's king, he's gone. Most believe he was king around 15, 16. So that make him 55, 56. So as we travel through this, let's learn. We have to learn. He's a guy that cut the angles, cut the corners. Every time he cut the corner, thought he was getting away, away with it. Just a little compromise. I'm special. I can do these things. But in the end, God comes back and says, no, I told you in the beginning, don't live this way. Verse 1, but King Solomon loved, problem number one, foreign, problem number two, women. Now, it could be other things, but for him, this is him. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Long sigh after this very long dash of people who should have been annihilated. So somehow he thinks he's the exception to God's word. Has to. You know, the thing I like about God's word is it does not leave out the flaws of the men and women that God has used down through the ages and present them all as perfect. Boy, that would give none of us a chance. But instead, he includes all of their flaws. And that should encourage all of us that are still sinners saved by grace. And you got to stay in that place, sinners saved by grace. So that way you're not going to elevate yourself above some place or position in God's economy. Somehow thinking you can do other things that others can't. Because somewhere along the line, that has to happen in his life. We realize that apart from the grace of God, we're nothing. That apart from Jesus, without him, we can do nothing. Somewhere in Solomon's life, that all changed. Solomon loved all these women from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. And the Lord even gave them an, a reason why here. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. So the Lord's on record here. This is what they're going to do. If you intermarry with them, this is what, if you touch the stove, you are going to get burned. And I understand some kid goes, yeah, I, I don't know about that. So he goes and touches it the first time. Okay, all of a sudden he went from no, you know, from hearing to believing to knowing or whatever. But that kid has some serious issues if he goes back and touches the stove again. <laughs> right? Very serious issues. And yet, this isn't a parent, this is God Almighty. Saying, listen, I told you this. They're going to turn your hearts away after the gods. And, and I'd imagine as King Solomon started collecting wives, it's like, nah. I'm above the, the others because they're not turning my hearts to their foreign gods. You know, King Solomon wrote this proverb, keep your heart with all diligent, diligence for out of it spring or flow the issues of life. That is so critical for each one of us today that walk in a world that's very corrupted and polluted in what we see and what we watch and what we 
we look at as we're driving down the road and what you look at when you go through the department store or an ad on the computer or commercials. Bigger, better, faster. You got to have it right now. You got to get it. Got to have it. And he writes, keep your heart with all diligence, not keep your mind with all diligence. The, the mind isn't solid enough to walk through life. That's why it says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. Because see, when action drops into the heart, it's pretty solid. The heart will convince the mind to act on it. And when the mind's convinced to act on it, it does it. It does it. So keep your heart with all diligence. It's critical. You could say keep your heart with all diligence for every action that you're going to take is going to flow out of your heart. Jesus said that. Every word that comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. And I would be willing to bet that every action in our lives comes out of our heart as well. And that heart will do exactly what God says here it will do. It will cause you to turn your hearts after other gods. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, Solomon, and yet he clung to those in love. I'm not sure. You know, it's not a Greek word, so all it says is love. I wanted to find out what type of love. You know, in the Greek language, we have the lustful eros love, because I think that's what's happening here. Maybe the first couple, two, three, but a thousand a thousand. See, that love in his heart for these many foreign women was stronger and more powerful than his walk with the Lord God, who had appeared to him twice. And thus he clung to these women. And I had he clung to them because they all made him feel good and look good. I'm sure pride somehow figures into this and in his kingdom. They made him look good in his kingdom. And life now became all about him and how he felt and how he looked and how he was perceived. He was no longer keeping his heart with all diligence. He was caught up with, well, back in my day, it was he was caught up with the Joneses. Today, I think it was, you know, he just caught up with what everybody's got. If they got it, you got to get it. You know, no longer about being the young man desiring to lead God's people God's way. That's all, all he wanted. Remember when we started this thing? That's all he wanted. He wanted to be, look, God, I don't even know how how to come in and go out. I, I'm desperate here. And yet, so many Christians end up this way. Too many Christians end up this way. Because you got to finish. you got to finish the race. No doubt every one of these women brought something from their culture and from their pagan worship into the marriage relationship with Sol Solomon. And so much of what they brought evolved around sexual immorality of their God. And if we look into the spiritual realm, we see the devil slowly at work, adding wife by wife, concubine by concubine, playing behind the scenes, seeking to destroy the Davidic line that would, could potentially bring the Messiah. Well, he wipes out this part of David's line. I mean, once Solomon's gone, we don't pretty much hear from him again. But David had other lines because David had other wives. Look at verse 3. Solomon had 700 wives also known as princesses. Yeah, and I bet you he better treat her. Could you imagine? Hey, you're not treating me like a princess. I got skipped last month or whatever. 
<laughs> and 300 concubines or legal wives, or at least that's how he saw things at this point in his life. And his wives turned away his heart. The very thing God said would happen. Let me say this before we move on. If one wife will not satisfy you, I can guarantee you a thousand wives will not satisfy you. It's not going to happen. And when Solomon took wife number two, you know, we don't know because the Bible doesn't say this, but but when he did, he was breaking God's law. But no doubt about it, when he took wife number two, he looked at his dad. I'm like, hey, they always say my dad's the man after God's own heart. And so I'm just following his lead. And he took wife number two. Maybe he's thinking, hey, God's going to bless me, you know, just like he blessed my father who had multiple wives. But see, David's sin did not turn his heart away from the Lord like Solomon's does. It seems that the son, who might have been looking at his dad going, well, the dad took multiple lies, it was okay. Seems like the son took it to new levels. So be careful, moms and dads, what you're teaching your kids. Some of them may just take your vices to extreme positions. I know I did. I did. I like maxed it out super max. Remember Solomon's daily intake of food? Remember what that was? No wonder his provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fatted owl, and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, when we went back, it was like 20,000, if I don't remember what the number was, of wheat. And you're going, how's that even possible? Well, he had a thousand wives. No doubt they had kids. He had a thousand mother-in-laws. I wonder how, to, how many of them were mothers at law. I mean, I, I don't know. Hey, I'm going to talk to you, buddy boy. My daughter's not being treated like the other, like number 97 over there. <laughs> he, he didn't have a computer to keep track. Somehow he had a computing system. And woman by woman, as Solomon allowed them to hang around them, he loved his flesh more than he loved God as he allows his heart to convince and direct his mind here. So Solomon needed to heed God's word to him in the Old Testament of not to intermarry. But you know what? It, it, it baffles me. God's word says the exact same thing in the New Testament. Don't marry women of ungodly uh, uh, gods, I guess, would be the best way to put it today. You can't say religion. Well, yeah, it could be religion. God says don't, and yet people do today. And yet God's word is so clear. Do not be unequally yoked today with unbelievers. And yet believers yoke themselves with unbelievers. Somehow thinking, no, I'm, I'm, I can beat the odds. I know people that have beat the odds. I know many that haven't. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And, and somehow, when people do this, they have to somehow think that they are on a more spiritual plane than God, and they know more. And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? I've shared with, with so many people, and they go, yeah, I know that. Well, then what are you doing? Well, I'm in love with them. Okay, but this is what God says. Yeah, but I'm in love with them. You never talk him out, it seems like. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Therefore, come out and be separate, says the Lord God. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. 
I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. That's expanded in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where here in 1 Kings 11, we're reminded that God said, look, just don't do it. Just a simple command, don't do it. Here, Paul gives all these different reasons as to why not to do that. The words are different, but the reasons are the same. They're going to change you, and you're not going to change them. So don't be deceived, Solomon, or believer today. Evil company corrupts good habits. Solomon becomes an object lesson for that, verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old. I don't know. I'm 57, I think. Yeah, because Mike's 58, right? Yeah, I'm not old. <laughs> yeah, I may be old, but I don't feel old. So rather than, but that's how old Solomon is. Rather than being in the example, he caved in the voices he had around him that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. Because so, see, Solomon's heart was divided. It started out totally loyal, but over time, I would imagine with every stone that got placed in a building, with every ounce of gold that got measured, with every baboon, monkey, peacock, all these other crazy things he was doing that came, his heart became less and less loyal. He is becoming full and fuller of the world. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as his father David was. And that's the difference between failures and others here. And David's failures, and we all know what they are, he didn't go looking for other gods of this world. He stayed true to his God even in his failure. So when it, he came to his senses and repented, either by someone going to him or by God's conviction coming upon him, he turned back to the God of Israel. Where if Solomon, he didn't do that. He just turned to other things. Solomon's failures in so many ways, this is like totally unbelievable what it says here, verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, the little goddess of much sexual love. So, okay, I can kind of grasp that. He's got a thousand wives. I can't, but I can. And after Milcom, who also is known as Molech. This I can't grasp at all. This is the abomination of the Ammonites. This is their God demanded new life. This is where they'd heat up the golden bronze statues of Molech, get them, throw them in the fires, get them blazing hot, and then they'd lay the new babies in their arms and everybody would scream. I, and this is a king of Israel doing this. Of course, it won't be the last one. This is David's son, one generation later. And he's going after the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. No doubt he did. And he did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. No doubt he did. So how did he get here? I don't know. I'd imagine... And I don't, I say this as gently as I can, the same way Christians that have abortions. You know, there's forgiveness there, there's reconciliation, a clear conscience from the Lord is there. But believers that have been infused with the light, I'd imagine that's how they get there, just like this. They, I read this a long time ago, I'm sure it hasn't changed. One in three evangelical women have had an abortion. Now I'm hoping that's pre-Christianity. Because that just wipes the slate totally clean. But post-Christianity, God's still going to wipe the slate clean. There's a baby that awaits people that they're going to have a reunion with. So how did Solomon get there? 
same way everyone gets there. He no longer walked in the love of it, with his in love with his God, seeking to be well pleasing in all of his ways. He's now walking in a manner of what's pleasing to himself. That's what he's doing. Just like we're seeing it happening in Christianity all over the world in the last days. Believers saying, yeah, we still believe, but they are slowly intermarrying with the various gods of self-love in this world. And life is becoming about them and not about the Lord. What does the Lord want you to do? I don't know, but I know this is what I want to do. No, man, that's a dangerous place to be. God sees the beginning and the, from the ending of your life. Look to him. He'll seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Don't keep them on the outside. James says that's boasting. For those who would come and say, I'm going to move to this and such city, make, engage in business, make a profit. Instead, you ought to say, as the Lord wills, James chapter 5, somewhere around verse 14. Like Solomon here, not realizing they're slowly being swept away with the self-love gods of our age. Worship and service and sacrifice and giving in these last days have been reduced to, you know what? If it's convenient to me, I will. Then you can count on me. I love Jesus. Otherwise, it gets, it gets worse. Let me pray about that. But that means I'm not going to do it, but I now got you off my back. I mean, that's secret code. They really have no intention of praying. No, thank you. I'm too much, too much in love with me and the little gods of this life. That's what, if people are going to be honest, that's what they should really say. I'm just kind of busy with the gods of my life, so yeah, I'm sorry. The problem is once you're in love with them, they own you. And now you have to serve them. Because that's what we see here in verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. He's the fish god. <laughs> and he looks like a fish. I, I, I'm not certain. It's like, seriously, you're going to now like bow down to this fish god? I don't know. I imagine it works today for many. Hey, you're going to make service? Oh, you know what? I got to go fishing today. I imagine people bow down to it all day long. He built a high place on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. Interesting. That's the same side where Jesus will walk in as he steps down on the Mount of Olives at the start of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and that, that valley is going to create it, and he's going to walk right in through from the eastern side of Jerusalem, right in through that eastern gate. And, note, and for Molech, the place where they offered up live babies, they burned them to death. This is Solomon, David's son. And note that it was the abomination of the people of Ammon. Tragic. For Solomon, the man that God has already appeared to twice in his life, but also, I think, tragic for us tonight, because we have to walk away with a renewed passion for the things of God, team. Otherwise, well, this could be us, except by the grace of God, this could be us. The only other option here is, if it's not a renewed passion for the things of God, then it's a severe warning if we decide to just settle into the ways of the world. So we've got to walk away with one of them, a severe warning that, uh, hey, you're going to settle into the ways of the world or, or a renewed passion for the things of God. It's critical. It's all about our witness and how we live our lives. Solomon did likewise for all his foreign wives. Built tabernacles. Built little places for them. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. 
We don't know the percentage here of how many of his wives were foreign and how many were Jewish, but I would imagine with no biblical proof that if these pagan ladies corrupted the wisest king of Israel, that they corrupted many, if not all, of the Jewish wives and concubines. Hey, hey, look, he's picking me again. You, you want to get picked? Sign up. Become a Molachite. I'd imagine that many of them were converted. And why again? Because he was totally in love with himself. His pride, his self-indulgence, and he ignores God's spoken word to his life. Now, please keep in mind that the gods that Solomon resurrects in his life, these ones that are going to be established in the nation of Israel, they're going to be around for 400 plus years. His sin is going to last 400 plus years. Well, actually, it's not his because other kings are going to keep adding to it, but this is where it, it gets a renewed sense. God brought him out of, Mo, out of Moses. God brought him out of Egypt with Moses. They had all these gods and all these idols, and, and they seemed to like slowly move away from them, very slowly, like over 40 years. Most of them didn't move away, but then when they came in, as, jo, as Jer, Joshua brought them in, they seemed to have left some behind. You don't really read much about them serving idolatry and and then all of a sudden here, Solomon, one man's sin, the self-love is going to take them all right back to the place they came from. And it's all going to happen because of one man's sin. And, but that makes sense to us because our sin always affects people that are around us, not just ourselves. That's a lie from the de devil. Oh, no one's going to know it. No one's going to get hurt. No, you're going to get hurt and everybody around you will get hurt. Hey, detour to Deuteronomy. Just back up a few pages here, just for a moment. you got to see this. Deuteronomy 17, 17. Get right past the Judges and the Joshua's and keep going towards the beginning. You'll see it. God gives a very clear word here. And I, and I know what we could say. Well, you know what? Uh, Solomon wasn't around when God spoke that. He only spoke to Moses. Yeah, I know, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. So Deuteronomy 17, 17, part of the law. Neither shall he, speaking to the king, multiply wives for himself. And here's why, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. How many strikes we got here? Don't, don't say two. How many we got? Three. He's out. <laughs> gold, silver. What was silver like in his day? Remember from last week? The rocks and the stones on the on the ground. So there's an instructional warning from God because he knows the heart and mind of his creation. And also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. Okay, nobody's off. There's not one king off the hook here. Because if the spiritual leaders are doing their part, hey, oh, by the way, you're the new king. You need to write yourself a copy of the law here. You need to see what God says. And you got to write it by hand. You can't like fax it or, or copy it. And he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levite. So Solomon most likely wrote these words that we just read because he was young and tender and I don't even know what to do. No doubt he read it. Possibly he read the entire scroll. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? Because if you set it down, you will wander and you will become just like the world around you. That's what he's doing. I wonder if he went to this temple that he built anymore. 
or if you walked past it going up to the high places. Or he probably did a little bit of both. Just, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to keep it balanced out here. But he couldn't have. He had a thousand of them. There's no way he kept it balanced. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. And here's why. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. That's pride. Thinking he has special privilege to sin. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Solomon won't be able to say, you know, my dad never taught me those things. You know, he's a terrible dad. That's why I wrote all those proverbs about spare the rod, spoil the child. My dad never taught me about these things. Oh, no, you wrote them down. Remember, Solomon? You wrote them down with your own handwriting right out of this book. You made your own book. Verse 9, back in 1 Kings 11. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. You know you're in trouble <laughs> when the God of love is angry with you. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God wants us to know that. The way this is worded, the Lord believed his appearance to Solomon two times should have been enough for Solomon to walk it out uprightly. And so the Lord God had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded him. Why? How did he do that? Because he did not keep his heart with all diligence is the simple answer. I mean, the only way this is possible today for us is if while you are allowing God's word to flow in and out of our lives, that somehow you think that somehow you are special and you can go against God's word. Whether it be for a day, a week, a couple days, half a week, a month. Somehow, as a believer, you have to think, I'm special. Yeah, I know what God's word says, but, and maybe God's silent. And the devil's right there, or his demon's going, yeah, it'll be okay, look, you know, there's no conviction of God, you're totally fine. I mean, Solomon fatally made a fatal shift away completely for good, and it's tragic. We, we saw the second appearance back in 1 Kings 9, verse 1, if you want to look back at it just for a second, I'm going to read it. The second appearance from God to Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house. Remember those ones he all took credit, he took credit for? I, 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 I. And all of Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that might have been a problem right there, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. Hey, Solomon, by the way, you're, you're living out all your desires. How about moving back and living for some of my desires? See, now that we're at the end, we can look back and see what was already written about it. And as the Lord appeared to him at Gibeon, and the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. I've consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there before, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and in the integrity of the heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I've commanded you, please notice here for a second, it's not your sin, okay? We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's serving other gods. Sure, I mean, I'm not making light of sin, but David had his own share of sin. But you run to the cross, forgiveness, confess it, forgiveness, and keep moving, get back in the game, fight the good fight. But he's saying, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, to do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying you shall not fail 
to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, we don't need to read anymore because we know exactly what's going to happen. But that's where we are in Solomon's life. But Solomon had read it, he had heard it from God, and he had even wrote it. The Lord appeared to him twice in his life. But the lust of man's flesh took him down. Which is why we read in the New Testament, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Look, it's one thing to have them. It's another thing to love them. Everybody needs a car. But when you love your car, you're in trouble. Everybody needs a phone. But when you go stand in line for five hours because you go, Man, I just go to have that phone. You got issues. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe that's God's telling you to go do that. But it, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, if you stand in line because you're going to save a bunch of God's money, well, hey, God bless you. I'd say, I'm right there with you. But if it's because it's new and it's sparkling, it's the latest thing. You must have a good paying job. After two appearances from the Lord God of Israel that Solomon might abide in God his entire earthly life, he chose to go to what was passing away. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this, verse 11, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Please take notice of that. that God's saying, look, Solomon, this is what I'm going to do because we're going to make comparisons to Saul. So Saul was told God's game plan by Samuel. The Lord God himself is telling Solomon his game plan. I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Not a son. It's kind of sad, but a servant. As Solomon's line is going to drift off the scene here in due time. Thankfully, David had other sons. If you go look at the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that Mary came on the scene through David's son, Nathan, who also had it as mother Bathsheba, just like Solomon did. Solomon fades away. Nathan remains. Actually, you find Solomon in uh, Matthew's account, but that's Joseph's line. And yeah, you know, we all know Joseph wasn't Jesus' dad, so that's there. But verse 12, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of, your, out of the hand of your son, who we know is very corrupt, if you've read ahead. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, the one who never turned and worshipped other gods, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And that's exactly what the Lord does here. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. He actually raises up three, two on the outside, one on the inside. Hadad, the Edomite, he was a descendant of the king of Edom. So when we see this, it's like, wow, I wonder how the Lord raised this guy up. You know, why summon from Edom? Well, I answer it in a minute. But why did the Lord do this? Just to recap. Because Solomon had purposely chosen to walk away from the Lord and serve the gods of this world. He had no desire to turn back. Certainly he could have turned back. He could have repented. But there's no mention of him turning back. There's no mention of him saying, God, I'm wrong. There was for David. I've sinned against, I've sinned against God. Nathan says, and the Lord has heard you, and you will not die. There's nothing like that here. 
He had no desire to turn back to the one true God. Verse 15 is why the adversaries from Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain. After he'd killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all of Israel, until he had cut down every male in Edom. Minus one, Joab, you let one escape. That Hadad fled to go to Egypt. It's kind of a popular place to flee to. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hey, Joab, you missed more than just one. <laughs> you missed the males here that are taken off. And so Hadad takes off. He's still a child. So Joab had a tactical error in his plan of wiping out every male in Edom because we see here he missed more than one. Or did he? His plan was to wipe them all out. So did he have a tactical battle plan error or... Is there other things that's going on here? We know Saul missed all kinds of his killings when he killed the Malachites, remember? Samuel comes up and Saul says, Hey, I've oh bless the Lord, hallelujah, brother. I've kept the command of the Lord and wiped out all of the Amalekites. Was that true? No, it wasn't. So why was King Saul removed and David raised up? Because David did the Lord's will and Saul did his own. That's what Solomon's doing here. So here's Joab, the seasoned warrior, not acting like Saul, but acting like Joab, seeking to kill them all. And how did he miss some? Simple. Capital G, little O, little D. Three letters. Big God. See, the Lord God knows everything. He knew what Solomon would do in his older age, and he needs someone from this tribe to come back and be a thorn in Solomon's flesh. God knew that. He needed to rise someone up to discipline his people. God knew that. Simply put, he needed a Edomite to do his work for him. And the way this is worded here, he needs to allow Edom to get back some payback on Israel for what Joab had done. So some vengeance. So then these guys all arose from Midian, Hadad and his, his crew, and came to Paran, and they took men with them. Yeah, because he's starting to build his army from Paran, and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is the sister of Queen Tapanes. And the sister of Taphanes bore him, yeah, I'm not pronouncing that, Genubath, his son from Taphanes weaned, whom Taphanes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and uh, Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So the two families are very close. She's married into Pharaoh's family. Obviously, Pharaoh's looking for a little um, protection, maybe. So when Hadad heard, because God is making him here, so when Hadad heard from Egypt that David, the mighty warrior, rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, you know, the crazy guy killing all of the, all the males, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. He, he must be thinking all of David's mighty men are dead also or ineffective. Or, obviously, he's just being led by the Lord God here and doesn't know us. And Pharaoh said to him, hey, but what have you lacked with me? that suddenly you seek to go to your own country. So he answered, nothing. 
but do let me go anyway. It makes no sense. Hey, let me just go up and live in the desert. But see, behind the scenes, God is working and moving here. He's moving Hadad out. And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezin, the son of Eladah, who fled from his lord, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders, much like David did. Remember when David was fleeing, all these rebels came to him from all over? They weren't Jews, they were just rebels. And so this guy became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they, they went to Damascus and dwelt there. That was their hideout. So some went and hid out in, in Egypt. Others went and hid out up in Syria. And they reigned in Damascus. He was also an adversary of Israel on the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. I mean, what gives? Did, didn't we read somewhere not too long ago that Solomon had peace, right? David had war. Yeah, because in his older days, as he starts loving these women and he's moving away from God, he's moving away from God's protection. So God raises up two outside enemies seeking to keep him busy being king. And I think he was too busy being the man of pleasure. I mean, after all, you got it all. You got a thousand women, money, food, luxury. I mean, I mean, people probably... You know, I've always wanted to invent the automatic shower. You just walk in, you walk out, done. Kind of like the car wash of all showers, you know, especially when you're tired. You know, it's like, can yeah, I, can I just, maybe he probably had something in the bath. I mean, but not anymore. Now he's got outside things that's robbing his time. He's got people who are invading his territory. He's now using his resources, money, and time and energy to fight these guys that are attacking him from the outside. So he's got two from the outside that are attacking, but it doesn't stop there. Please keep in mind the Lord God is bringing these interruptions into Solomon's life for the sole purpose Solomon would repent. And it's God would get his attention. He doesn't. Verse 26, trouble from within the camp. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite, so he's a, he's a, a tribe of Ephraim, from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zera, a widow, I'm sure that formed the character of this man. Also rebelled against the king. But here's the crazy thing. The Bible doesn't tell us what that rebellion is. I looked all over. We only see Jeroboam reacting to the actions of Solomon here. And so I read commentators like, well, this must be what he's rebelling. No, listen, he, it's, the Bible's silent here. Why, why speculate? Why not let, just let it be silent? And realize he rebelled because Solomon tried to kill him. Boy, that sounds like David. David rebelled because Saul tried to kill him. David ran for his life. He, he was in a rebellion to Saul's kingship. I mean, this is what caused him to rebel. You try and figure it out. This is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo, or, you know, fortresses around the wall and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. Okay. Um, yeah, can you see it in there? That's why he rebelled. Uh, the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. He worked himself up from the bottom, child of a widow, probably taught him to work hard. Maybe he was a sole provider like my dad was. My dad was the sole provider of a family of five when he was in seventh grade, actually probably sixth grade. In the harsh, cold winters of Minnesota. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, that doesn't sound like any type of rebellion there, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So 
He appointed him an Israelite to a position of power over another tribe of Israel. Nothing in there about rebellion. Nothing. But maybe Solomon's on the lookout for someone that's a servant that's going to betray him because that's what God told him would happen. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, minding to know his own business, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he, he, I think that's Jeroboam, clothed himself with a new garment. I don't know, maybe he's just going out of the town. And the two were alone in the field, as God's going to anoint his new man as king of Israel. But this is sad in so many ways, because with this anointing, the nation of Israel is going to be torn in two. You're going to have the ten tribes from the north, and you're going to have the tribe of which is going to, the ten tribes from the north seeking to take a dollar tree to a whole new level. It's going to corrupt like crazy, so much so they'll be the first ones carried away. And the southern tribe of Judah. And why? Well, because the actions of one man right here, of Solomon. And Judah's going to be carried away as well because they don't learn from their northern brothers, the ten tribes. Here's what's so crazy about this. You read through the Old Testament. The, the ten tribes, uh, the northern tribes, are carried away by Assyria. And you're Judah, and you've watched all your brothers get carried away. Don't you think you should go, hey, we should probably check and make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? Hey, don't you think we should stop killing these prophets that come to us and quit stoning them and running them out of town and locking them up? Don't you think we should start listening to them? They don't. They get carried away by the Babylonians. So this act right here is going to lead to all of Israel being carried away from the land. Why? Because no one wanted to walk with and under the blessings of Almighty God. And so God says, look, you don't want to walk under the blessings? Go ahead. I'll give you what you want. You can go to foreign lands, serve idols all you want. And that's what happens. Verse 30. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, on Jeroboam it seems, and tore it into 12 pieces. Then Jeroboam jacked him. No, it doesn't say that, but <laughs> you got your new shirt on. Um, must must not have had any seams in it. Otherwise, it, either that or this dude's got strong fingers that he can tear cloth, tear clothing. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So Jeroboam, please listen now. Here's why I'm doing all this. Now, listen. If you get invited to like, I don't know, um, I don't know, you get a free pass to every Super Bowl in like the best seat, the best clubhouse for the rest of your life. As long as you do this one thing. And, and, and it's really simple. I don't know, like maybe make your bed every day. Well, one day you don't, and you get checked. And so you lose that, and so they go to the next guy. Hey, deal's for you. you got to make your bed every day. Don't you think you'd make your bed every day? I mean, that, the guy lost it. Don't you think you would, like, do the same to keep the deal? I, I would think you would. And so God's saying, look, I'm taking it away from him because of this. So if you do these things, I won't take it away from you. I mean, that's what he, that's what he says here. Here's, here's how I'm taking it away from him. I don't want you to repeat the same, so here's, here's why I'm taking away. They've forsaken me and worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Anam, Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. So, Jer Jeroboam, I'm taking these things away because they didn't do that. Too bad Jeroboam's not listening here. 
as to why God is splitting Israel. I mean, look at verse 34. However, I will not take the Super Bowl package for the rest of your life from you. I won't take it out of your hand. I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I've made him ruler over all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I've chosen, because he kept my commandments and my statutes, speaking of David. Are you hearing all this, Jeroboam? Can you, are you getting all this? You want success? Keep the Lord's commandments and statutes as the Lord details out exactly what he's going to do and why he's doing this. I read that my football thing too early. Verse 35, but I'll take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, 10 tribes, in case you missed it the first time. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I've chosen for myself to put my name there. So don't come down and try and attack him. The how and the why for the second time spoken to Solomon's officer, Jeroboam, over who is over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. No doubt he understood what the Lord's saying to him. And so I'm going to take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Too bad his heart's desire are going to be an abomination to the Lord God Almighty. Verse 38. And, and as I read this, I have to ask myself, am I getting this? You go back and look at how many times God says to his people and how many times they fail. I mean, he has just got done telling Jeroboam why he's getting promoted. Basic promotion for failures of others doing their duties of walking with the Lord. And so the Lord speaks directly to him through his prophet, verse 38. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, if you walk in my ways, do what's right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, you're going to have a free pass to the Super Bowl all the time. I mean, it's there. I'll be with you. I'll build for you an enduring house as I built for David. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. We will never know what the northern tribes of Israel could have become. I mean, did God say, hey, Jeremiah, I'm going to make you and give you a great name in all of Israel, just like King David. Okay, that's cool. But we'll never know because he messes up like crazy. And I'll give Israel to you. And I'll flick the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. It's temporary. Don't miss this. This is the promise given by God to this man, to his man, God's man. All the details as to how we got here don't matter now. Because God has spoken and appointed and anointed this man. Case closed. Watch what happens, though. But Solomon, verse 40, Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. Yeah, because he rebelled against him. No, because Solomon figures out that Jeroboam is the one that God is going to raise up. So Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. What does that sound like? Does that sound like David, his father, seeking to thwart the plan of God? Or does that sound like King Saul making it his mission to kill the next king? And why? Because of Saul's sin. Because of Saul's sin, he was seeking to kill God's next king. And that's exactly what's happening here. For Solomon's sin, he's seeking to kill God's next king. Both had trusted members of their cabinet, it seems. Both were men who were faithful doing their jobs. They were, they were loyal. I don't see anywhere in here where he was rebellious. He will be once he gets his position. But he was loyal to Solomon. And so Solomon wants to kill him, just like David was. 
and you think of what a coulda, shoulda. I wonder what Jeroboam's reign could have been like up north. He just needed faith. So we're going to find out as we go through this. All Jeroboam needed was faith to succeed. It seems both men were forced to rebel against their kings and flee for their lives. And so I guess, yeah, that makes them rebels, but only from the bad king's eyes. One will return and become the man after God's own heart who will do all of God's will. The other will return and out of lack of faith set up gold, ten golden, or set up golden calves so the northern ten tribes won't think about going down to Jerusalem to worship. Man, if they go down to worship there, they might stay there. Lack of faith. Sad. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt because Solomon was seeking to kill him. See, he didn't believe God, so he's already on the run. And he fled to Egypt to Shikshak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon as he's awaiting for God's time to arrive. And that's it, team. That's how Solomon signs off. The sad, tragic effects of sin end with you living like a Saul seeking to take out God's next appointed king. Now, the rest of the Acts of Solomon, a book that we do not have, and all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? Don't have it. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. Sad, 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 sad for many reasons. Let me leave us with one more out of 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God speaking promise to a very young Solomon. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. That's what it says. 1 Kings 3, 14. If you walk with me as your, as my, as your father David did, I will lengthen your days. But he didn't. You're 50, right? Corbin just had your birthday. Yeah. Six years, you're done. <laughs> I know. How about one day and the rapture happens? I mean, if, if, he, if he took over somewhere between 16 and 20, he's 56 to 60 at his death. We're not walking and keeping God's ways. Perfect in him? No. Just as your father David walked is good enough to our God. That's what he, God's looking for. Final sentence in this chapter. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. And Jeroboam, his father's officer, is coming. As Solomon leaves behind a lost book and a very lost son. That's his legacy. We don't even find much of him in the New Testament. He's there, but not lost. Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you show these pictures to us. We get to see your words so clearly. Lord, help them to be more than stories in our mind. Oh, God, they've got to settle down and find good soil in each one of our hearts, that they would produce good fruit in each one of our hearts.